The Elements contains language and material that may be distressing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. Staring in the face of danger, the brain's hypothalamus is activated. It initiates a series of chemical releases and nerve cell responses. Adrenaline is released into the bloodstream, a heart rate increases, and our awareness, sight, and impulses all intensify and quicken. But there's something else that pushes us to survive, something beyond activated chemicals or nerve responses. It's something unique to us all, Something that can't easily be calculated. I'm Stuart Diver and this is The Elements. You just gotta fight for yourself. Everyone is an equal when they're at sea. As we go to air tonight, New South Wales is in the grip of a major bushfire emergency. If you don't believe in heaven, I know hell does exist because we've seen it. This is fire. Black Summer. December 2019. Australia is in the midst of its worst ever bushfire season. Years of drought combined with high winds, hot temperatures and a lack of moisture in the soil has created a tinderbox set to explode. Bushfires have always been a part of life in the great southern land, but it's never been like this. It's spotting ahead of itself. Yep. So you guys have got to be ready. It might not look that the main front is there because it's spotting ahead of itself. If you see anything, get out. As fire crews struggle to defend towns up and down the eastern seaboard, several small fires in a remote area of the southern highlands has combined to create the Green Wattle Creek Blaze. It's a massive fire with incredible power and speed, destroying everything in its path and it has the sleepy village of Balmoral next in its sights. My name's Steve Harrison, and I live in Balmoral Village uh, in the Southern Highlands. Steve Harrison and his wife Janine King have lived in Balmoral for 40 years. About a two-hour drive south of Sydney, Balmoral is a quiet regional community. It's so tiny the main street doesn't have a post office or a general store. Steve and Janine moved to the Southern Highlands from Sydney in the 1970s raising a child and building a home here. They live off the land, growing fresh fruit and vegetables and run a pottery workshop and school. This has been everything that I set out to do and I'm very proud to achieve with Janine working together, the two of us, so we've made this happen. It's pretty idyllic, really. While Balmoral is a beautiful leafy town, it's surrounded by National Park on either side and highly exposed to the threat of bushfire. We knew nothing about fire. When we originally started out together at Dural for a year or two, 18 months, um, that's where we rented the weatherboard place. And um, it was just, we smelt smoke and 20 minutes later the place was burning down. It was just a hot summer's day. The fire just roared through. It was pretty shocking. And that was our introduction to how fast bushfires can move. So it was always on our mind that we should build things that were more fire resistant. But it's taken us a long time to, to learn all the things we needed to know. I mean, nobody knew. In New South Wales, the three organisations tasked with defending bushfires are the New South Wales Fire and Rescue, the New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service, and the Rural Fire Service, or RFS. Fire and Rescue handles mainly metropolitan areas, with approximately 7,000 paid staff and 335 fire stations in cities and towns across the state. While the National Parks and Wildlife prepare and defend national parks. While the groups fight alongside each other, the largest and most recognisable is the RFS. My name is Peter McKechnie. I'm the Deputy Commissioner of the New South Wales Rural Fire Service. The New South Wales Rural Fire Service is the largest volunteer fire service in the world. Our our membership, as it was, was just over 70,000. 
We have just under 2,000 brigades right across New South Wales providing fire protection to their local communities. Peter McEchnie started with the RFS as a volunteer firefighter in the 1990s before moving up the ranks to become one of its most influential members. During Black Summer, he was working out of head office in Sydney's Olympic Park, trying to coordinate resources to battle the fires. We knew about the season going in, and certainly by the time we got to December, we'd already seen significant fire activity up and down the north coast, further inland right along our ranges from the Queensland border um, right down and, 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 in fact, to the south of Sydney. So we had a, a range of things come together, uh, underlying drought conditions, significant fire weather conditions with above-average temperatures and a lot of fire activity to the time, um, by the time we got to December. We haven't seen the level of fire activity spread across such a wide range of areas before. In Balmoral Village, the RFS fire captain is Brendan O'Connor. O'Connor has been volunteering for over 20 years, attending catastrophic events outside Balmoral, including the Black Saturday bushfires in Victoria in 2009 that killed 173 people. Historically, we don't protect our village. It then, if it comes through us, it's then going to Bargo, uh, Yandera, Yerenbul, uh, potentially to Tarmor. So there's a lot bigger villages to our east if it comes through our village. By December 2019, the RFS Balmoral Village Fire Brigade are tired and weary from what's already been a long bushfire season. Resources have been stretched throughout the year, meaning they've had little time to prepare for their own danger period around the corner. We were fighting the fires from winter. So a lot of us actually fought them coming down the coastline as I did, um, from the Queensland coast all the way down. We'd go up there for a week at a time. So for a lot of us, it was about four, four and a half months before it even got to our local area. Everyone was exhausted. Well, longest campaign in the 21 years that I've been a firefighter for. We've never, never had that, that amount of non-stop, I guess. For the past decade, Balmoral resident Steve Harrison has kept a blog. What began as a simple diary about cooking, living off the land and making ceramics, turned into the account of a man under attack, trying to defend his home and his life from one of the most catastrophic bushfires these parts have ever seen. We have been given permission to read Steve's blog. These sections will be read by author and journalist Trent Dalton. Tuesday, December 17th. 2019. Yesterday, the village was accosted by the full force of the New South Wales Rural Fire Service heavy industrial might. The first thing I noticed was the fall of a lot of black ash and burnt leaves arriving on the tin roof around me. Then my neighbour rang my mobile to say his house was under ember attack. He is half a kilometre to the north and closer to the fire ground. It was another 15 minutes before the black plume became obvious to us but then it was the noise of the helicopters. At first we couldn't see them, and one became two, and two became three. There's quite a percussive thrum in the air from the rotors, the smoke in the air and the smell. It's all a bit nauseating, principally because we have lost two potteries to fire in our 45 years together. I hate the smell of wood smoke in the morning. The road in and out is closed in both directions, north and south. We are well prepared, so we are staying to fight. It's like we are at war. And in a way, we are. We are at war with nature. But it's more than that. All this is man-made, and made by man to be so much worse. Four and a half decades on from our first encounters with wildfire. The afternoon passes, the planes depart, the noise subsides. We wander next door to take up an invitation for a swim in the pool. We open a bottle of wine and share it together. I can only hear just the one small solitary chopper still working on into the dusk a long way off. The wind has changed and has blown the smoke away. It's quiet. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of noise and fury, signifying nothing. 
as the Green Wattle Creek fire descends on Steve Harrison and Balmoral Village, RFS Deputy Commissioner Peter McKechnie and Head Office devise a strategy to protect the local community. But with bushfires burning out of control across the state and this one showing no sign of slowing down, there's only so much they can do. We knew early in the piece that the fire was going to be a challenge. You know, we were, we'd already found across numerous, you know, with so many fires, we'd found that dealing with a lot of fires was proving challenging in such a dry environment. And on some days, we would be dealing with over 100 fires at, at any single point. Any fire of, of that scale, you, you can't fight every part of the fire, like every front, every day, all the same way. You have to use a variety of strategies and tactics, um, a, a, a significant not only number of resources but types of resource, and you're constantly prioritising what, what you're going to do where based on a balance of, and this is what our incident management team is doing, they're constantly looking at, well, where's our highest risk today and where can we do the, the most? One of those tactics is a last-minute backburn organised by RFS head office, hoped to deprive fuel loads to the rapidly approaching Green Wattle Creek fire. But it's a risky move this late in the game. According to Balmoral Village Fire Captain Brendan O'Connor, it's a bad idea. I still absolutely gobsmacked why that decision was made. And me being the captain of this area, I wasn't even informed that backburn was going ahead. Yeah, if I'd known about it, I wouldn't have. Yeah, I would have done everything to stop it because it was only ever going to be disastrous. And unfortunately, on the 19th of December, we found out just how you know disastrous it was going to be. A day that began with a premier declaring a state of emergency has descended into chaos on multiple bushfire fronts. Homes have been destroyed and firefighters injured in the Green Wattle Creek blaze south of Sydney. There, the towns of Buxton, Balmoral and Bargo have been hardest hit, while further north, the Gospers Mountain Fire continues to rage from the Blue Mountains to the Hawkesbury. Thursday, December 19th, 2019. Today, the fire arrived in our village. Fortunately for me, it was just to the north of us with a strong westerly that turned southwesterly. This blew the blaze away from our house. Tragically, it appears that three houses were lost today in that blaze. Two firefighters were badly burnt and had to be airlifted to hospital for emergency care. We've been well prepared for this day for the past couple of weeks. The last thing that we waited to do was to wrap the house in alfoil. Just the wooden weatherboard front room, as it is most vulnerable. Elvis, the large orange water bombing helicopter that we share with Canada, was here and flew over to check us out, just as the fire truck came to tell us to evacuate. I told him that I was staying to fight, but Janine wisely decided to leave for safety. The fire really blew up into a massive plume just after that. It was a bit scary, I must admit. But I have four different fighting high-pressure pumps set up with sprinklers on all the roofs and northern walls on all the sheds in the house. I gave them a run to test them out again, but turned them off to save water, as there was no ember attack, because the wind was blowing it all past us and away. So now the fire front is to the west, north and east of us. Tomorrow's wind is forecast to come from the northeast. That is going to be bad for us. The next two days will be make or break for us. It will all depend on the strength of the wind and the temperature. I expect it will be at its worst from midday onwards for the following four hours. If it looks to be catastrophic, I'll start all the pumps and just leave. A regular sight during Black Summer was the RFS Chief Commissioner Shane Fitzsimmons. Through all the political and organisational distrust in the community, Commissioner Fitzsimmons was a voice that spoke with compassion and integrity, a role that ultimately led him to being named 2020 New South Wales State Australian of the Year. But the morning of December 20th was one of his darkest days. Last night, just before midnight, uh, the worst imaginable uh, set of circumstances unfolded uh, on the Green Waddle fire, uh, where one of our fire trucks, uh, the Horsley Park uh, Category 1 tanker, uh, was driving down a road uh, and has, uh, has collided uh, with a falling tree, or the falling tree has collided with the vehicle. 
That's resulted in the vehicle ricocheting off the road uh, into a culvert drain, uh, tumbling, uh, rolling over uh, and landing to rest uh, on the driver's side. Tragically, uh, two uh, highly respected uh, and much loved uh, firefighters uh, died as a result of that horrific accident. On Thursday, December 19th at 11.30pm, volunteer firefighters Jeff Keaton and Andrew O'Dwyer from the Horsley Park Fire Brigade were killed on the front line near Buxton, about five kilometres from Balmoral. Both were experienced volunteer firefighters and young fathers. Member for Prospect Hugh McDermott was not at Horsley Park Rural Fire Brigade as an official today. They're not going to be home for Christmas for their families. The community is still doing what it can. A local shop owner dropped by with money he raised. So did a grief counsellor with a box of books she wrote on how to cope. They put their lives on the line for us, so the least I could do is come down and um, give something back. When a member of the RFS is injured or dies fighting a fire, it creates a ripple effect across the whole volunteer service. RFS Deputy Commissioner Peter McKechnie. There's no other way to, to, to describe it but devastating. You know, for, for their crew, their brigade, um, everyone who knew them personally, obviously their families, but for the broader firefighting community, not only the RFS but across the agencies, the loss of a firefighter is such a significant impact to deal with because it is very personal. It's one of your own. Jeff and Andrew paid... You know, such a terrible, the ultimate price. They, you know, they lost their life defending a community. And people do have that feeling of wanting to honour that by ensuring that they continue defending those communities and working to, to deal with fires. One of the biggest challenges in fighting bushfires is their sheer unpredictability. While meteorologists can predict the likelihood of a more dangerous season on the horizon due to factors like drought and increased fuel loads, it's still almost impossible to predict when and where one will start. Once a blaze has begun, it's also very challenging to plot the exact course of the fire. And there's no greater unknown at play than the wind. And the fire will turn on its own. If it's racing to the east, it'll now just stop and start racing back to the west. And what it did at that point when it started to come back from the west was when we had those south-easterly winds that were forecasted. In the wild, bushfires run rampant and out of control. But inside a kiln, Balmoral resident and pottery artist Steve Harrison holds the power. A kiln is a thermally insulated chamber made from a combination of bricks and metal that produces temperatures over 1,000 degrees centigrade or 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. The extreme heat creates chemical and physical reactions to alter the body of a shaped material. Simply put, a kiln turns clay into ceramics, a raw material into a work of art. It's just something that's in me and uh, had to come out, had to be expressed. And it's still what um, gives me inspiration uh, today. In his homemade kiln, Steve Harrison is a master in complete control harnessing and manipulating fire to create works of great artistic beauty that will live on through generations. But over his back fence, an untamed bushfire roars hotter than his kiln ever has. He can smell the smoke and see the destruction. This is one fire Steve won't be able to rule. All the fires just seem like flukes, really, just unlucky. And I didn't ever think there was another one would come and it would happen again, but I prepared just in case it did. On the evening of December 20th, the Green Wattle Creek fire is completely out of control and on the verge of re-entering Balmoral. Brendan O'Connor knows the worst is yet to come. There was an email from our fire control. On this particular morning, it was asking for us on the 21st for all resources, including myself, to be staged at Hilltop and that there were to be no crews left in Balmoral. I, of course, I'd bring fire control and question that why um, they believed it was going to be too dangerous. But my thought was, well, if there's no one here, if it comes into the village, we're going to lose virtually everything. O'Connor is put in an impossible position. 
the Balmoral Village Fire Brigade has been requested by head office to leave their own community to help others when the fire danger is going to be at its worst. It's a request he's not willing to follow. I then said to fire control that I will be staying and do what I can. I put a message out to all of the Balmoral Village members, letting them know that what had been decided by fire control, that they want us to leave our old village after fighting for it for the last two days. Thankfully, all of Balmoral Village Brigade, they all decided to stay, but I left that for them to choose. It's now just us. Everyone else had left. They even took the bulk water truck out. That was carrying probably 70-odd thousand litres of water. The RFS took that out and took that up to Hilltop. They pulled out all other appliances from Balmoral Village and pulled them up all into Hilltop or to Buxton. So for that initial, we were the only two vehicles in our whole seven and a half kilometre spread of our village. But the forecast for Saturday the 21st was 44 degrees, very strong westerly winds, virtually no humidity, and it hit most of those markers by 6, 6.30 in the morning. It became the perfect storm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are, as the Premier indicated, expecting another very dangerous, another very difficult day today given the given the widespread geographic area of catastrophic fire danger ratings, particularly uh, through the Greater Sydney, uh, Illawarra Shoalhaven and the Southern Ranges area. Saturday, December 21st, 2019. Dawn breaks over the vast, smoke-covered southern highlands. The fog is so thick it blocks out the sun, rendering everything in darkness. It's hard to tell if it's day or night. In Balmoral's main street, the welcome sign into town is covered in ash and soot inches thick. If you didn't know it, you might think you've woken up in a nightmare. Probably just after 6am, it joined. It actually joined. So now we had pretty well at least a seven-odd kilometre flank of fire to our west. That then stood up, came through the village first time, probably about quarter to seven in the morning. This came through 150-odd metres crowning above the treetops. That just came straight out from the west and impacted virtually the whole village in one hit. The only way I could describe it at that time was the gates of hell were definitely opened up. And even where I said to people, if you don't believe in heaven, I know hell does exist because we've seen it. Just past dawn, a giant wall of flames, 20 storeys high and wider than the eye can see, hits Balmoral Village. The heat is so intense it boils the bitumen on the road. There's no defending against something like this. The only thing to do is get out of its way. It's just so hard to describe the temperatures. We know temperatures by what was liquefied were well over a 1,000 degrees and we've got firefighters working out in those temperatures. I remember myself, the sweatband in my helmet, all the perspiration that actually boiled my forehead. There was very little oxygen for firefighters, let alone any residents that stayed to breathe. So just moving around was really difficult for, for everyone that was there. You looked around and just that dark, dirty, dark red, black, Colour was just everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there was something on fire. This is as bad as it gets. Um, we've had gas cylinders exploding. Um, very, very intense fire activity, but we're doing as much as we can now. All we're trying to do now is just save lives. That's the main priority. Balmoral Village is under siege. 
O'Connor and his volunteer crew are doing their best to protect homes, but with no resources to help, it's an impossible task. You're lost, I guess, in a lot of ways. We, I can't get any resources in. We're running out. We've gone to all of our private ones on properties that we could access, you know, water tanks, swimming pools, dams. We had nowhere left to get water, and it was horrible. Just when all hope seems lost, volunteer RFS crews from Mount Hunter, Lake Slant and Douglas Park arrive to render their support. So we then had five appliances. So all we had then for the next four and a half hours was those five appliances protecting the whole village, which the whole village at that point was burning. The fire comes in and out in waves, with the wind ripping through the town towards the east, but then coming right back harder than before. Despite their lack of manpower, the volunteer crews manage to save homes, but by midday, they've run out of water and everyone is forced to retreat to the fire station. So flames are now lapping at our fire station. It's been heavily impacted by embers. We've got 35 people, residents as well as firefighters that weren't able to be on an appliance in our fire station. We've got all our sprinklers going because it's our place of last resort for our village. So 35 people, probably 40-odd animals from dogs, ducks, chickens, Shetland pony, couple of goats. You know, there was probably 20-odd dogs and so on in, in the fire station. They honestly felt, because of what was happening, the station was filling up with smoke. They could feel the temperature rising. They could hear everything that was going on. So they all started to play, thinking that that could be their last, last day here. Just everything burning around the fire station. There were firefighters collapsed through exhaustion. You know, that were trying their best to go into the fire station and, and you know, see it absolutely filled with smoke and people were crying and it was, yeah, it's you know, one of those images and the sounds that is burnt into your brain forever. And then to know that at that point there was nothing left. As the fire closes in on the fire station, no one has heard from Steve Harrison. It's been hours since the fire arrived and things are looking grim. It came much quicker than I imagined. When the wind picked up and on the west, and I could see the big black plume developing, and I thought, well, this is it. Uh, by the time I could run around all, all the buildings, and I had, I had the pumps on running already on idle, just with a roof sprinkler, just to keep the roof wet and the gutters full of water. That was on every building. But I had to run around and put the pumps on full bore, and I had to turn on the valves and had the wall sprinklers. I couldn't afford to waste the petrol or the water beforehand. So yeah, by the time I'd run around and done all that, that was maybe 10 minutes or something, the fire was here and the, the embers landed in the, in, the, in the street and in the garden and everything burst into flames amazingly quickly. So, you know, it was kilometres away and suddenly it was the yard was on fire. I ran to my ute, I had my backpack in there and um, my mask and my water. Daddy was to drive up to the village, but um, by the time I got into the ute, I only ran 100 metres to, from the barn to the truck and I got in started it looked up and the road was already on fire and the front yard was on fire and then the driveway was on fire and it just all came quickly whoosh so I wasn't going anywhere it just came too quick Steve's plan to leave has failed by the time he's turned on all the sprinklers around his property and made it to his truck a wall of flame surrounds him Steve starts his truck hoping a path will clear behind him but it doesn't all he can see is bright orange flames and smoke Everything is on fire. There's no escape. It's just too big. There's nothing you can do. It's, it's beyond, you know, human intervention. It's just, you just got to get out of its way. That's when I abandoned the ute and ran down the back and climbed into my shelter, my kiln. In the days leading up to the 21st of December, Steve Harrison built a new kiln, something very different to anything he'd made before. Six foot long, two foot wide and two foot high, it's made from spare parts and looks more like a coffin than anything else. I had uh, an old vacuum kiln that was dissembled into four wall pieces um, that were long and thin and they were on the veranda and I didn't have a use for them much and they just sat there for a few years. And I thought, well, the first thing I should do is get those kiln parts out and, uh, and build a kiln-shaped kind of shelter that I can get into if, if the worst comes to the worst. 
So I went down behind a stone retaining wall, um, so I was protected from the west, and I reconstructed the kilns in a shape that I could lie down in that would protect me. I wasn't intending to go in there. It was just a plan C, really, <laughs> just in case it was needed. Steve runs to the coffin-sized kiln and climbs inside, grabbing a water bottle and covering himself in a fireproof blanket. The tiny shelter rattles in the unforgiving smoke, wind and flames, the fire bearing down on him. The wind was howling and um, the roof of the kiln started to shake and wobble as if it was about to blow off. So I had to dig my fingers into the wire mesh casing and hold it down so it wouldn't blow away. And it was very hot and uh, hard to breathe but because of the heat. The hairs in my nose were burning and there was a lot of ash and ember in the air, like uh, particles, I suppose, smoke sort of. The fire went over the top and you could just see everything was glowing orangey, red, kind of weird, metallic, sparky. It's not traceable, it's going past. It went very, quite dark. The smoke was very thick. You couldn't imagine anything would survive that. Steve desperately holds onto the roof as the wind threatens to rip it off and pull him into the fire. Through a small crack in the metal, he can see the orange and red flames dancing outside. They race towards his pottery shed and it lights up, destroying his life's work in an instant. With minimal oxygen remaining inside the kiln, Steve has to calm down, lest he pass out and lets go of the roof protecting him from the fire. He closes his eyes, looking away from the destruction and narrows his focus. He starts concentrating on his breathing, trying to create a slower rhythm. With everything burning around him, the only thing Steve can control now is the fire inside. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools, the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So when I couldn't see any more sort of horizontal flames going past the cracks in the wall of the kiln, I thought, well, I'll just look out, see if the house is still there. And remarkably it was, so I was quite amazed. And the pottery was already burning, well, I'm truly gone. I ran up to the house and I stood in front of the house, on the western face of the house, in front of the sprinklers, and just stood there and let myself be hosed down by the water for maybe a few minutes till I felt like I could concentrate. I was a bit spaced out, really, I guess. It was pretty shocking. But everything, all the, all the gardens was on fire around me still. Water falls from Steve's ashen face. It hits the ground and the heat turns it back into dust. The furious wind dances at his feet, sucking the dirt back into the fire. Steve looks back at the coffin-sized kiln. He spent his whole life controlling the fire within, but this time, somehow, the kiln protected him from the inferno outside. That was unbelievable. Quite sensitive, like a miracle. Absolutely miraculous. Back at the Balmoral Fire Shed, Fire Captain Brendan O'Connor and the rest of the town are still fighting for their lives, with little sign of salvation. No one is responding to their radio calls and all hope seems lost. But then, the roar of a fire truck approaches. And I remember, I cheered, and, it's, and I remember saying, you know, the cavalry's here. Uh, yeah, and, and it was, it was just incredible feeling. You know, to know that we now had some more trucks that could help with the fight. Just in the nick of time, New South Wales Fire and Rescue out of Sydney appears to help O'Connor and the volunteers defend Balmoral Village. It's the critical support they need to carry on defending the town. We had no idea that crew was coming at all. So to, to see these guys come out of nowhere, they just drove in and they just got straight into it. They were absolutely sensational. The way the volunteers and the fire and rescue guys worked together was just absolutely amazing. You know, helping each other and backing each other up and you know they were our saviors at that time and as I said we would have lost a lot more homes at that point if yeah if they hadn't turned up yeah then we got the support we needed we we really had nothing left as O'Connor and the fire crews joined forces to get on top of the situation in the village Steve Harrison's fight is far from over 
the barn was on fire and the, the pump had stopped up there. So I then bucketed water from the railway station tank, threw water onto the wall, and the wind had stopped howling by this stage. So the barn was still burning, but I was keeping it under control by throwing water onto it. And then I kind of put it out and then it would reignite. I did that for some hours. So then I was just so tired, I just thought, oh, bugger it. It has to burn. I can't carry any more buckets. When fire crews finally arrive at Steve Harrison's property, having turned the tables in the village, they meet a man covered head to toe in black soot and ash, totally dehydrated and exhausted, but he's still standing. No one can believe he's alive. Where Steve was, which is absolutely smashed, if, if he didn't get into his kiln, he would have died. There's no, no doubt about it. He, yeah, he wouldn't be here today. As light begins to fade, the temperatures start to ease and the fire trucks leave for the night. But as Steve will soon find out, the threat is still lurking. I wandered back to the house to find that a couple of dead pine tree branches halfway up the tree were on fire and were smouldering and bursting into flame whenever the wind gust came from the east. Blowing them into life and a flurry of sparks and flames would emerge from the branch, showering red-hot embers down onto the roof of the house. I still had the house pump running on low just to keep the roof and gutters wet, but I soon realised that I didn't have enough water or petrol to last the night. I couldn't sleep in the house with embers dropping on the bedroom roof like that. I decided that my only option was to get the big extension ladder and climb the tree and chop off the offending branches. I have a whippersnipper gadget to which I can add an extension bar plus a small chainsaw attachment on the end. I climbed the ladder and stepped onto the next tree branch up then held the chainsaw as far above my head as I could reach, directly overhead to saw off the branch. I closed my eyes and cut the branch off. It whistled down past my ear, missing my shoulder, then bounced off the ladder, landing on the ground, shattering and bursting into flames and setting fire to the grass at the foot of the ladder. I managed to cut off both branches and climb down through the fire to run to the house and wet my clothes. Afterwards, I lay on my bed and started shaking. This was the most terrifying thing that I had to do on that day. Indeed, my entire life. I was pretty shattered by the effort that it took me. It wasn't like the fire front coming through. I just did that without thinking. Cutting the pine tree branches off was an act of willpower. To really risk my life in real time to save my house. The effort that it took me at the end of such a traumatic day, it really broke me. I went to bed but couldn't sleep. I just lay there shivering, but I wasn't cold. I didn't know what was happening. I realized later that this was some sort of reaction to the shock of the day's events. I was completely shattered. While Steve has lost the pottery shed, the railway and other parts of his beloved property, he's managed to defend the main homestead and save his life. Steve is one of the only residents in Balmoral Village who stayed to defend his property. Most others were either at the fire shed or left town altogether. Now Steve is the only one left behind who can tell other residents the fate of their homes. I didn't actually see these things because I was in my bunker, keeping safe. And, you know, after the fire, I didn't, I didn't go anywhere and look at what had happened. I just couldn't. I still haven't actually driven around the other streets in the village to see what's happened. I just don't want to. It really is horrible. So sad. Brendan O'Connor couldn't be prouder of the efforts shown by his and other fire crews, both paid and volunteers. To me, it's a miracle. I don't know how we saved the 130 homes. We did lose 20 homes. But even now, I drive around and see... What we did with such little resources is absolutely a miracle, amazing, by all those crews that were there. The green Wattle Creek fire would go on to burn for another five weeks, finally being extinguished on January 28, 2020. Despite a few scares, it never re-entered Balmoral Village. The green Wattle Creek fire burnt over 250,000 hectares or 650,000 acres in the southern Highlands, Wallandilly area, with the loss of two lives, dozens of homes and countless plants and wildlife. And my friend Ross, a beautiful man, he turned up with his bobcat and um, he actually got him. 
he said, you're going to need this. And he said, I'm not using it at the moment, so you can have it for a week or two. So left hand, forward, backwards, right hand, up and down, open, shut, there you go, that's all you need to know, figure it out. And um, so we were able to start cleaning up that first week. Fantastic generosity from so many people. Really, absolutely essential. You can't just let this stuff get you down. You've got to find something in it that um, you can work with to build on to do it again. Yeah, there has to be some sort of creative, positive outcome somehow. That's what we're looking for. The Black Summer bushfires burned from September 2019 through March 2020 across six Australian states. Approximately 24 million hectares of land, or 60 million acres, was destroyed an area equivalent to the size of the United Kingdom. At least 3,000 homes were destroyed and 33 people were killed. There were another 3,300 hospitalizations and 429 excess deaths directly attributable to smoke pollution around the country. Nearly 3 billion animals and plants were destroyed, including the loss of 60,000 koalas and other endangered species that are now believed to be extinct. The last fire was put out just when the COVID-19 pandemic was spreading across Australia, putting recovery efforts and rebuilding on a hold, forcing many to isolate in tents and temporary accommodation with little or no resources until government help arrived months later. The Black Summer bushfires stands as the worst bushfire season in Australian history. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. We were burnt out in December, so I've ordered another 30 fruit trees of different varieties, and we'll be planting those in the next few weeks. At the moment, I'm building a frame to create a fence and a sort of a netting cover over the tops, so it's eating the fruit. It's just like reliving my life over again, starting again. In the days after the fires swept through his Balmoral Village property, an online fundraiser was launched for Steve Harrison by his former pottery student, Claudia Sitton. It proved a timely boost to start looking ahead. They raised uh, over $50,000, which is what we've been living on because it took four months for the insurance to come through. It meant that with that money coming in, bit by bit, we were able to start planning and pay for the bulldozer and the backhoe and the bobcat and the tip trucks and things to clean away all the mess. Yeah, we could sort of start getting on with our life much quicker rather than waiting for the insurance because some of the people around me um, only just getting their blocks cleared now, getting the burnt rubble taken away. For all the destruction and his near-death experience, Steve Harrison has every right to be angry. But he isn't. He's only looking forward. I mean, I just couldn't believe I'd go through this and have four potteries burned. It's weird. Um, and then in different locations too. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, just what it is. Anyway, I like to live here and I'm doing my best to um, prepare myself for the next one. Because although this really is a total disaster, I think there's no way around it. Everything's gone. Luckily, we've still got a house, but I intend to rebuild a a more, (laughs) hopefully, fireproofed building, and I intend to replant the orchard. So out of a real bummer, garden that you tend for 44 years, and compost, and you mulch, and you water, and you weed, and you mow, and prune, all that's gone. But I have to learn from it, and I have to make something positive out of it, and so... The new orchard will be more appropriate for me and my Zimmer frame in my older age. While the charcoal landscape leaves a visual reminder of the damage caused by Black Summer, it's harder to see the trauma left on volunteers, firefighters like Fire Captain Brendan O'Connor. Every home in the village got damage of some sort. There's not one property that didn't sustain damage. I guess the other issues these things can bring... um, yeah, my wife decided it was all too much and 
wanted to separate, so gone through that as well during all of this with the fires. Of course, the two firefighters that tragically lost their lives. Yeah, it, it affects everyone in a lot of ways, psychologically as well. I wasn't looking at the 130 homes we saved. I was probably more concentrating on the 20 homes we lost. But it does, it still has a massive psychological effect. You know, not only me, on all firefighters that went through it. And I do talk to a lot of them, not only from my brigade, but from other areas, the volunteers, as well as some fire and rescue. Um, there's not many that didn't have a close call of some sort where they thought, maybe this might be it. This may be the day I don't get home. So it, you know, it, it has had a massive effect overall, down to the point where you know, I, I know quite a few firefighters that have walked away from the service. They don't want to do it anymore, which I, I can understand. They don't ever want to go through that again. After the longest fire season in his career, O'Connor worries about the preparation for the next bushfire season and the ones after that. I don't think a lot of brigades are going to be prepared properly because we really haven't gotten over last season, especially for how long it was for so many of us. You know, we were fighting that for five and a half months straight. That's all we pretty well did on and off was fight fire. A lot of people's heads won't be in the right place for it. There's been so little preparation done. The link between bushfires and climate change is undeniable. Research goes back as far as 1987 when Dr Tom Beer published a scientific research paper for the CSIRO, partly in response to the devastating Ash Wednesday fires in 1983. In 2008, a report commissioned by the Australian government predicted that from 2020, global warming would cause Australia's fire seasons to start earlier, end later and be more intensive. It was inevitable Australia would be next. The last summer was caused by a crippling drought seeing an increase in fuel loads, that's a matter of public record. Our climate is changing, and those who wrote the report actually acknowledge that. In August 2020, the New South Wales Minister for Emergency Services, David Elliott, and the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, announced the state government would be adopting all 76 recommendations from an independent inquiry into the causes of the Black Summer bushfires. The recommendations include changes to compulsory land clearing, nighttime water bombing, hazard reduction burning, strategies to protect native animals and plant life, and allocating more government resources to fight fires. It also advised on measures to protect the mental health of firefighters and increased research into health effects caused by bushfire smoke. But changes for the future don't do much good to those who were lost. We're all close-knit and our close, close friends. And now we've got both um, Andrew and Jeff <laughs> to add to that. Robert Avadia, 7 News. According to RFS Deputy Commissioner Peter McKechnie, Black Summer has had a profound effect on the mental health of volunteers in the rural fire service. We dealt with those impacts and we dealt with the challenges of feeling, you know, they're probably as varied as the members are themselves in terms of some people feeling, had they done enough, could they have done more? What if? Questioning themselves. Yes, it has been a long-term impact to the service, but people also worked very hard to prepare for the 2020-2021 fire season. They wanted to be prepared. There was also certainly an element there, and it's quite a strong element of making sure we were prepared to go again, not just focusing on what had been 1920, but learning from it, preparing to do it again. We will have a fire season every year and we need to be prepared for them and we need to be prepared for the work. The New South Wales Rural Fire Service saved lives, secured homes and protected countless animals and land during the Black Summer bushfires and continue to do so today. We all have loved ones that we would sacrifice almost anything to keep safe. But to volunteer in a role that endangers and could potentially take your life for the benefit of the community is nothing short of remarkable. It is testament to that camaraderie that exists of people pulling together in the most difficult of times. Certainly for the RFS, it's been a, been a volunteer-based organisation. 
that strength that comes from the fact that people are putting up their hand to defend their community, not for a job, not for enumeration, but to just ultimately be there for their community and that strength they bring to it, I believe does help us when we have these worst of times because the reason they've chosen to do it is so powerful. I think that we are seeing the last days of the blackened, burnt trees and foliage here. Since it started raining this last week, it has washed a lot of the carbon and ash into the ground and in some cases down into the dam. It has occurred to me that there will now be a record of this catastrophic event permanently laid down in the sedimentary strata of this black event on our land. The rains have washed a lot of the ground clean. I must say that it won't be soon enough for me to see the bare earth covered with a coating of green again. Over the past six or seven weeks that we've been clearing up all this burnt rubbish that was once our garden and workshop, I've become acutely sensitive to the smell of black carbon, charcoal dust and black ash. I'll be very pleased to see the back of the black and start to work on things that are not covered in charcoal. We didn't get the record levels of rainfall that other places got but it was quite enough for us, 190 millimetres. It filled all four dams to overflowing and filled most of our rainwater tanks. The reason that the two biggest tanks didn't fill is because the two large roofs that used to feed them are now gone. It's nice to see the dams full again. Pity that the water is a rather black-brown colour. This will eventually be diluted and washed out or settle into the sediment. The summer started with extremely dry weather, then the fire, closely followed by loads of rain, slight flooding, and now cool autumn weather with a flush of green growth. In July 2020, the Kerry Lowe Gallery in Newtown, Sydney, held an exhibition called Steve Harrison Twice Fired, featuring pottery items Steve recovered from the fires. Before the exhibition launched, Steve, Janine and their friends built a protective stone wall around what will be the new pottery shed, protecting it from future fires. It's a beautiful sight, the perfect meeting of form and function, a symbol of defiance for what invaded his property and what might help defend it next time. Work continues on the shed itself, the final piece in the puzzle of rebuilding their lives. Steve's blog has returned to its origins, a lush account detailing the new recipes they're making from all the fresh fruits and vegetables they're able to grow again. To follow Steve's journey and see his work, there's a link to his blog in our show notes. This is our life. Lurching from crisis to crisis, extreme to extreme, drought to flood, fire to rain, barren soil to flush greenery. But we're not going anywhere. The Elements is hosted by me, Stuart Diver. It's written and produced by Tim Russell, audio production and original music by Slade Gibson. Researcher and assistant producer is Claire O'Halloran. Readings in this episode from Trent Dalton. Special thanks to Channel 7, Channel 9 and the ABC for the audio used in this episode. This show would not be possible without the kindness and generosity of survivors, volunteer firefighters and the people of Balmoral Village in New South Wales. We thank them and pay tribute to all those who lost loved ones and were affected by the fires.